The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm Dr. Nigel Finch, and joining me from Melbourne is Craig Sheaf, Managing Director at Fund Manager Technical Investing. Now, listeners to this podcast might be interested in also downloading a copy of Craig's latest market commentary on his website, technicalinvesting.com.au. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Nigel. Look, thanks for appearing again on Stock Doc. Our last interview was recorded just before Christmas last year, so exactly six months ago. And at that time, you predicted markets should go a little higher and then sell off in quarter one or quarter two before starting back up again. So, um, Professor Sheaf, what exactly has happened since Christmas last year? <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking me back. And, um, yeah, look, we were a bit fortunate. We, we got that call quite quite well. Um, the technicals worked out well. It proved quite accurate. Um, the market did work its way about five-odd percent higher into, I think it was around the 20th of Feb, and then it sold off late into Q1. So we were positioned, had some short positions that did well over that February-March period. The sentiment levels in that January-February period reached extreme bullishness, which was really the warning sign that the, a fall was pending. Um, I was expecting a, about a 10% fall. I wasn't expecting a COVID-related uh 30, 40% fall, giving the fastest fall in the, in the market's history. So, Craig, from a technical perspective, can you describe what phase the market is in at the moment and where you expect this phase to end up? The fear levels that the market reached uh, in March were some of the highest fear levels, panic measurements that I've seen in the market. So they were higher than the 87 crash. Um, or even near the GFC lows, it took several years to get there. So when you get fear and panic levels like that, it's a sign that the people of you know, investors have really thrown in the towel. Um, so that should be a really significant low, uh, and from very significant lows uh, should come major rallies. So I think we're uh, in the next phase of the the bull market, and this phase timing is always difficult, but you know it should last some years and take the markets uh, well past the, the January highs. In your latest market commentary, you're anticipating a pullback in major stock markets in USA, Europe and here in Australia. Can you tell us what the anticipated timing is and the extent of the pullback that is being predicted? The Cycle and timing work we do has been suggesting for some time that the markets would rally into the second part of June and that we could likely see a significant pullback in July. Um, Percentage falls are are hard to predict, but we're thinking at this point something in the range of sort of a a 10 to 20% pullback. It's also interesting that the fear levels that were so extreme at the March lows are, are now showing excessive optimism not as high as they were in that January, February period, but also at sort of multi-year highs, excluding that period. So enough for us to suggest that investors have gotten too bullish in the the near term. Right. So 
just to clarify what you're saying, you're, you're suggesting that we, the market should pull back in, in July by a reasonable amount and then head off into a bull market. Is that right? Correct. So this, these legs tend to, we tend to have three drives up and we think we're near the end of that first drive up where we'll see a pullback and then the next couple of drives up, which will happen over the next couple of years. So you seem very confident that the markets will rally in a bull market for the next few years. Can you explain your thinking behind this prediction and explain to listeners what will drive the buoyancy in these markets? Yes, yeah, so my current multi-year view, uh, we can split into, into two. We can split into, I guess, our technical view and our fundamental view. So on the technical side, you know, we've gone back and really studied over the last 100 years how humans react, and, and that can be measured in sentiment and wave structure and, and the, how the market behaves. And really when you look at over decades, um, masses tend to behave very, very similar, particularly uh, using the right tools and at major turning points. So timing's not always exact, but in general it can be quite accurate. And those March 2020 lows, as I said earlier, were extreme uh, fear and panic and should give rise to this next bull market. So the cycle work we do and the timing work suggests that there's one more multi-leg uh, higher in this bull market. And what we're seeing now is uh, you know, just that first leg that we think is probably getting close to um, concluding. On the fundamental side, it's basically low interest rates and huge liquidity and a lack of choices where to invest that's going to drive the, the markets higher. Um, central banks and governments have told us what's going to happen um, and they'll do whatever it takes to maintain the financial markets and to keep the economies moving forward. Um, they've bought corporate debt, they've pumped trillions of dollars into the market and we think before this is over there's going to be trillions more going to be injected. So the high unemployment um, and poor economies in recessions have governments around the world opening their checkbooks up. And they're really discarding balanced budgets and targeted debt levels. So really they're going to do whatever it takes to re-stimulate support economies that have been hit by COVID-19. And last week, uh, the Fed chairman, or might have been the week before, Jeremy Powell said, we're not thinking about raising rates. We're not even, not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. What we're thinking about is providing support to the economy. So, you know, I think when you hear statements like that, there's going to be a lot of support in the market and that's going to be around for a long time. In the last Fed's meeting, uh, the members pretty much indicated that there's going to be zero interest rates to at least the end of 2022 and it could be, be well past that. So we've touched briefly on interest rates. We've talked about equity markets. What's happening in the commodities markets? And are there any particular commodities that investors should be paying close attention to? Commodities like the market, they work to very uh, long-term cycles. And the cycle work that we look at has been saying actually for some time now that around late 2019, 2020 should be when the commodity complex is bottoming and, and, and turning up and maybe COVID-19 has delayed that slightly but we think we're actually around that point in time where the commodity cycle should be 
bottoming and it's at a point in time where a lot of that resources companies are underpriced and the sector is is not loved. I mean, there's areas like iron ore and gold that are, but those base metals and a lot of that um, oil and base commodity market uh, is not in favour at the moment. So I like base metals. I like nickel and copper. I also think that um, the time must be approaching again shortly for the EV complex to start to do well again. We've already had a couple of bull legs up uh, in the lithium before falling back off. So I think we're probably approaching the time shortly for that lithium cobalt EV area um, to gain interest again. We're not invested in there today, but we're doing work on that area because we think there's a lot of opportunities. And when we start to see that stocks turn up and the right indicators, then we'll be able to act quickly and move into that area. The other couple of commodities that we've got interested in uh, is the rare earth space and also uranium. We have a little bit of exposure to rare earths at the moment, um, none to uranium, um, but they've both been in long-term price declines uh, and we're evaluating those at the, at the moment. So what are some of the constraints that are affecting supply and demand in some of these key commodities? It's a good question. I, I, I don't think we're um, going to have a huge demand-driven rally in commodities like uh, China gave rise to in that uh, sort of 2005 to 2010 period. But I do think underlying demand is going to be strong. Um, if you look at demographics and um, age populations and also um, people moving from the poor to the middle class. You know, we have about 160 million people a year moving into that middle class that are going to need fridges, washing machines, air conditioners, etc. Um, the electric vehicle complex, um, there's a lot of money being spent in that area. Uh, it's going to be pushed very hard by the car manufacturers. And so there's certain commodities in that area that's going to do well. I mean, copper, you probably use three to four times more copper in an EV car than you do to an internal combustion car. So I think there's going to be strong demands still coming through, but it's really the supply side that I think is going to cause the commodity uh, complex to, to move higher. It's just been such a long time since we've had major discoveries around the world. It takes a long time now for a new mine to get discovered, to go through the regulatory process, the environmentals, and get approved. You know, it could be a decade-long process, and and there hasn't been a lot of money spent in that area really since that peak back in two thousand and eight to two thousand and eleven. So I think as more and more money is being spent um, on infrastructure uh, and governments pouring more money in, um, the supply constraint of those commodities is going to end up leading with um, to higher prices. Now, Craig, you have been a very long-term investor in emerging technologies for almost three decades now. What's your view on the valuations for tech companies in the current market? Yeah, I don't think you can probably argue um, that they are high at the moment. Uh, there are opportunities, there are stocks out there that have been uh, missed or have had issues and uh, are having to redevelop themselves. And so they might not necessarily be high at this point, but the majority of valuations in the tech sector is very high. 
But we think it's one of these environments that the ones that are going to keep delivering, uh, their valuations are going to stay high and could probably even go higher. So it's important to pick the ones that will deliver. With high valuations, you do need to be very careful of, you know, the stocks you invest in. If they under-deliver, you know, the falls can be quite substantial. But I'm still seeing a lot of opportunities in this space. Um, so it, it's an area where we're still concentrating, still happy to have a large exposure to. It's one of the few areas of the market at the moment where you can still have high returns on capital, um, be globally scalable uh, and, and grow quickly. Now, you touched on this before, but I'm just wondering, can you just uh, explain to our listeners your view on the valuation of mining companies in the current climate? Valuations for a lot of the mining companies are quite low at the moment. We're seeing even companies in the development phase that have identified a resource, have done a feasibility study, even a bankable feasibility study, and quite a lot of those assets are still being valued at the moment of maybe 10% of their net present values, whereas in a normal bull market, you know, they'd be valued at much closer to their NPVs. So I think there's opportunities there. If you, um, I was actually just looking uh, the other night at the mining sector even in, in the US, and I think across the mining index in the US, the average stock is now on a PE of about seven times uh, compared to the technology sector that's probably on 25 times earnings. So the valuations do look low. Um, it's just a, now a matter of picking through the, the right stocks. And uh, there's one event that I'm particularly interested in, and um, and that's um, the U.S. presidential election. What is likely to happen to capital markets as we head closer to the U.S. presidential election? Yeah, that's one, Nigel. I'm probably not going to be give you too much insights on that. I, it, it's very difficult to to obviously determine what's going to happen there. I think volatility is likely to increase. Um, we'll need to see really what the policies of the two parties are going to be. But underlying, I think both sides of governments are going to be big on st stimulating the economy. Unemployment's going to be high in the US. Uh, so at this point, I'm not sure um, if the end result's going to pay too much weight to the underlying trend and what's happening with all those stimulatory effects in the market. Now, you touched on some of the sentiment indicators um, as they related to fear over the last few months. Um, what are these various sentiment indicators that you watch uh, telling you at the moment? Yes, yeah, so we alluded a little bit earlier that the indicators at the moment are indicating that people have really just got too bullish. Um, uh, speaking to a broking firm the other day with their head analyst and basically the, the view seems to be at the moment is markets can't go down. But with all the cash being pumped in, uh, stimulatory effects and everything, it's just the market's going to stay up and markets just don't work that way. We, we're at the point, I think, where the sentiment's indicating uh, people are too comfortable at the moment uh, and so, I don't know what it is, but something usually comes about um, to take away that that confidence and, and bring a little bit more fear and uncertainty into the market, which 
Okay, I don't know why, and we don't know if it's definitely going to happen, but our work at the moment indicates that could be quite close at hand. Hmm. So in the short term, again, what, we're, what you're predicting is a decline in markets um, and um, over the next few months and then starting to, to move away. It's interesting that the markets bottomed on the 23rd of March and for some strange reasons, uh, all these counter trends often tend to be 60 or 90 days. So obviously the 23rd of June, um, which is again in that time frame, is 90 days from a low. And if you go back through history, that's often a, a three months is, is a common period which you'll get these uh, rallies to last for before they need um, some sort of downward movement. And what's your prediction for interest rates globally for the next few years and how will interest rates impact valuations in equity markets? Yes, I'm going to stick with the, the big boys with this. I'm going to stick with what the, the Fed uh, and the central bank over there is saying, which is uh, you know, interest rates should stay low for at least the next couple of years, uh, very low um, at the moment. Uh, the members of the Fed, none of them are predicting negative rates in the US, even though there's quite a few people thinking that could be possible. So at the moment, the thought is we're probably near the lows as far as interest rates are concerned. I do think rates may work a little bit higher um, with all the money being thrown at it. But I think the central bank over there will pretty much do what they did in the 1940s, which was really just step in the market and any time interest rates showed any signs of moving above a level that they fixed, they would buy whatever debt instruments they needed to to keep rates low. So I think you know, rates are going to stay down for some time and that's going to be a, a big driver um, for the equities, commodities and um, that space. Well, Craig, this is really useful talking about the market, but I can't let you go until uh, we uh, have a quick look in your portfolio. So uh, can you give us a very quick walkthrough of some of the, the top handful of stocks in your portfolio right now? Yeah, I'm happy to mention a few, Nigel. I think you know, the theme we're most confident with at the moment is obviously that software and technology, particularly those benefiting from the current uh, situation that we're in. But one of those that we have is a company called Dubba. It's got a technology platform providing call recording and data analytics in the cloud. It's already signed over 130 telcos onto their platform. We've got some of the largest telecommunication carriers in the US deploying. Uh, Telstra in Australia also is rolling it out across their network, including their mobile network. Uh, and you also have Cisco, uh, their WebEx calling offering is also rolling the technology out. So that's um, one of our top holdings in the fund. Uh, another in the software and tech space that we like is a company called Vault Intelligent. It's uh, an online SaaS, so software as a service business specialising in creating solutions for businesses in the risk environment, health and safety sector. So they have a, a wearable um, uh, watch and uh, a mobile. It's already in 30 industries across eight odd countries, 400 odd enterprises, um, and they've been, uh, I think, missed a bit by the market. And so we, we quite like that one. Um, in the commodity space, uh, we do like gold, um, and 
uh, Tieto Gold uh, is an up-and-coming explorer and developer. Um, they've got a couple of million ounces, and we think the way they're going, there's a good chance uh, later this year they could end up with over three million ounces. Uh, management's done an excellent job, um, and they're technically very strong. The company is in West Africa, but it's in a country we don't mind, um, and it's probably got the lowest drilling cost of any gold company on the ASX, meaning their money goes a long way. Um, a couple of other quick commodity plays that we like. We like a company called Atrium Coal. Um, it's uh, in Can uh, operations are in Canada. They're right next to uh, where Gina bought Riversdale, and we think the valuation there looks uh, low in comparison. Um, and something a little bit different, uh, we quite like a company called VRX Silica. So Silica Sands used to make glass. Uh, glasses demand is continuing to be strong globally, and actually sand is one of those commodities that is getting tighter in, in supply, and particularly high-quality silica sand, and they've got some very promising-looking ground in Western Australia. So we um, you know, are helping to back them to uh, get their them up and into production. Well, Craig, thanks very much for that. And I think uh, it might be good for us to catch up again in another six months and see how things go. Um, so, um, you know, whether these predictions have come true that we're going to go into a, a short dip and then into a long uh, bull run. So thank you to my guest, Craig Sheaf, Managing Director at Fund Manager Technical Investing for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice daily newsletter for ASX markets coverage, company profiles and industry insights.